Murder. Welcome to Death Do Us Part Podcast, hosted by my wife, Jamie. Hello. And myself, Mark. What up, y'all? Hey. Hey. Part Sorry. Yeah, we're a day late, but Mark's sick and, you know, dying. So. Hey, hey we went <clears throat> to the doctor. I really am sick. I, so. I'm not saying you're not sick. I'm saying you whined less when you actually died. So. True. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. True. But. That's all. Yeah, this congestion is pretty bad. Yeah. Jax's ears are still infected. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I got me an ear infection. Mm-hmm. So we're little Twinkies. Yep. Yep. What are you doing? Looking at something. Well, I realize that. What are you looking at? Uh, something for the episode. Oh, okay. Good Lord. Mind your business over there. Well, you're all like secretive. I'm not. I'm trying to figure out uh, a name. Oh. That's all. I gotcha. But I can't. I don't fucking know. So how are you feeling? Uh, I don't. I don't even know. I don't, I'm not even sure what day it is. So. Yeah, I wasn't sure what day it was either. Uh, but yeah, I is it Friday? Yeah, it's Friday. Okay. But since sure. me and the little guy are, are sick. Didn't know if you uh, you were starting to feel. Oh it. yeah, I feel. Like, I'm sure you're going to. I feel like rolled up dog shit. Yeah, I don't feel good at all. Dog shit or just rolled up? Dog no, like shit? rolled up, stepped in. Rolled up and stepped in. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's not good. Yeah. No. Mm-mm. That's not good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I don't. I don't feel good. But I mean, whatever. We're trash. We yeah, always feel I, I something is always wrong with us. Yeah, mm-hmm. we are just fucking trash. Oh my god. Yeah, I. I mean, whatever. <laughs> whatever. I, mean, I made a solid effort. It is what it is. Yeah, I made a solid effort to not be, and you know, it just didn't work. <sighs> so, anyways, we got part dua today. Yeah. The Oklahoma City bombings. I have a question for you. Yeah. Do you believe in coincidence? Not really. I don't know if I do either. Yeah, not really. I don't, yeah. I've been thinking about it, like, a lot. I don't I don't know if I do either. What, like, why? What, what made you think of it? Like, the, the, the date, actually. April 19th. Like, all the shit that happened on that date. Like, that's not coincidence. No, I believe Mm-mm. that that was purposely. Like, and... You know, I talked about a little bit in part one and I touch upon it in like part two where, you know, Timothy McVeigh and certain people are proven to be in the same spot at the same time. Yeah. That's not a coincidence. No. No. No, no, no. So. No, I don't believe that for a second. I don't know. I don't. don't, So I, I, I I I guess it depends on what it is, but for, for the most part, no, babe. Yeah. I don't Uh, think I, I I'm starting to think I don't. I don't know if I believe in it. Uh, so, you're you're okay. Yeah, just it just. <laughs> so, well, I don't know. I'm uh, not okay. Whatever. It's uh, it's just been like two days, so nothing's really. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, not, we're a day late. I ended up working last night. Yeah, so. yeah. And then we went to the doctor this morning. Mm-hmm. So. We're recording now. Yeah. At least it's not like 10 o'clock at night. 
I, like you're not going to make do. it till 10 o'clock. No, I'm not. So I'm not. I, I barely slept last night. Yeah. So. Yep. So I don't know. Just, I, I think just jump right into it. Part two. All right. So um, we left off with him um, at the Nichols farm. Mm-hmm. And they were supposed to be leaving for Waco the next day. Right. April 20th. So this is April 19th. Uh Tim- Timothy McVeigh is outside fixing his car. They call him back into the house. He sees Mount Carmel on fire. So he's standing there. Um, Mount Carmel was engulfed in flames and there were armored vehicles ramming into the walls. The Star of David flag actually fell into the fire. And shortly after that, federal agents raised their own flag over the compound while it was still burning. Did they really? Yeah. What flag? I don't know. I don't know. I would. I forgot to look, to be honest with you. But like, I'm very curious I'll, what they raised. I'll look it up. It was still, um, like it was still on fire when they raised their flag. No shit. Yeah. And he sat there, wow. and he's like, are, "Like women and children died there, and you're raising your flag." So. Wow, that's yeah. bullshit. Yeah. What flag did? So. You know, they raised their flag up and they, him and James Nichols noticed that it was windy. And James mm. Wick, Nichols commented that the, gov- the government must have picked a windy day on purpose so the fire would spread. Yeah. Um, he said, quote, the government wanted it to burn because the government couldn't win. Mm. Which, That's yeah. interesting. Mm. It's an interesting comment. I'm not saying I'm turning into a conspiracy theorist, but I'm not saying... Uh, Shit doesn't add up. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, like, fuck, man. Mm. It's like we said, like, some of the stuff, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Did um, you find the answer? I'm looking to... for it, so. um, <clears throat> I don't know. It seems like a very specific question. I don't know if Google's ready for me. So. It's too much of a question. It is. <laughs> if he can't find it just we'll well yeah i want to we'll know talk about it later because that was like a big <clears throat> thing that like really pissed him off yeah um, i and i had no clue yeah i had no clue about that i'd be pissed too yeah if i saw that yeah like for real are you fucking kidding me well i mean it was still on fire yeah so yeah. And like he said, like women and children died in that. Right. Like, right. And what the fuck are you raising for? Right. Like, does it does it matter? Because, you know, at that point, the ATF. That's not a win. No. Well, and the ATF and the FBI were still having a pissing contest about who fucked up, who didn't fuck up, who should right. have taken it, who didn't take it. You know. Well, and OK, so coincidences, like I said, we were, I was talking about it last night. So one of the. um for at Columbine, uh, there was a father whose daughter was inside the high school. Son? Son? Maybe son? Inside the high school. And he was on his way to work and bypassed work when he heard about Columbine. Mm-hmm. Well, he was an FBI negotiator. He was an FBI negotiator at Waco. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting. Isn't that weird? Well... N- not totally because negotiators 
are somewhat hard to come by. Yeah, no, I get it. But like, what are the odds of so, it being that one whose kid goes to that school <clears throat> and they li- living in Colorado? Yeah. You know? But I, I was a hostage negotiator and I was trained by the FBI. Yeah. <clears throat> and the FBI, their team, I mean... They didn't do it full time. Yeah. They they did they had other jobs that they were assigned to and you know hostage negotiation was just a side gig. Right. You know in case they needed them. And just like the SWAT team for the south suburbs that I was on it, there were f- five of us, four or five of us. Was it even that many? Yeah. Hmm. I don't think it was that many. No, it was was a handful. It was about four or five of us. So, I mean, negotiators are are somewhat hard to come by. Which I get, but, I mean, that's, like, people would say that's a coincidence. Yeah. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think, I don't know. I don't know what I think. So, um, Timothy McVeigh um, would say that that day his... Emotions ranged from frustration and anxiety to searing rage. Um, he became immediately certain that the government was gonna come up, gonna cover up what actually happened, uh, just like they had in Ruby Ridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, the use of CS gas on the compound with women and children was, to him, the ultimate bully attack. Yeah, you, you, they can't fight against that. They're they're no. babies, you yeah. know. Um, Waco became the biggest turning point in McVeigh's life, 100%. Really? What happened at war kind of did him in, but this was like the icing on the fucking cake. Mm -hmm. So he knew then there was no longer a reason to go to Waco, but said that something had to be done. Uh, A month after Waco, he went back to Arizona with uh, Fortier. Everyone there noticed his hatred for the government had intensified, and he was telling everybody that the time had come to take action against the government. He was not quiet yeah. about anything. So, Spoke um, his mind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he spoke, he spoke, he spent his days searching newspapers and right-wing periodicals for lawless behavior by government agents, which, honey, you're not going to find it in a fucking newspaper. No, they don't it's print not going to be shit. there. Yeah, they don't, they don't print it. No. So he ended up getting a job as a security guard again, but then would go to gun shows for extra income. Uh, he would go to a new gun show every week or two, set up a table, sell his, you know, bumper yeah. stickers and hats and shit. Yeah. Um, it, it's like a circuit. Like everybody knows everybody. Oh, yeah. You know? Um, yeah, it is. And they all saw him changing from a disgruntled veteran with just a couple questions about the government, really, to an angry anti-government activist. He started selling flares and flare launchers, saying that they could also be used like rockets. Mm. He also would pass out cards for his buddy Robert Moore that he had met at a gun show who owned a gun shop um, because he had like special fuse lit flares. Yeah. So he was coming dangerously close to openly discussing attacks on the government with people and did not give a shit. Really? Blatant. There was a, a... uh, he said it was an undercover cop at one of the gun shows. Yeah. And he was just like, yeah, blow everything up. I don't give a fuck. Oh, Jesus, yeah. dude. <laughs> so um, his need for information on Waco became all-consuming. He made a video about Waco and started selling it um, 
at the gun shows, but then showing it to everybody. Like he had a binder full of pamphlets mm-hmm. and then would be like, do you want to see my video? And if somebody would be like, sure. I wonder if the video's still out there. I don't know. But he uh, had a TV and a VCR in his car. Did he really? Yeah. And he would bring it in. That's how he got uh, fired from being a security guard because he was not supposed to be bringing a TV in. And he did. <laughs> so his supervisor was like, yeah, he blatantly uh, disregarded an order. Right. Yeah. So um, at this point, he starts writing letters to his sister, Jennifer. They're very dramatic. Um, she believed every word he said and felt that somebody wronged her brother. And she still says that to this day. Really? Yeah. Yep. Now, so a couple things happened. Um he kind of was on the radar with the gun shows and stuff, but like, eh, so-so. Mm. So Nichols, uh mail order bride, Marif. So she had that other dude's kid yeah. that she brought over. His name oh, was Jason. Yeah. So uh, at one point, one night or one morning, she woke up and found him unresponsive in his bedroom. He Ooh. had crawled out of his crib and went to get a banana out of a box. They had a box of bananas there. Yeah. And somehow got his head entangled in the plastic bag. Oh, jeez. And suffocated. Yeah. Oh. So. Well, that's terrible. Yeah. So she starts screaming and McVeigh goes down there and knows like this kid's dead. Yeah. But starts working him anyways. So mm. she'll calm down and everything. They question him um, almost immediately. Not like into questioning, but. He gave two different names. He gave a last name uh, that was different. And that's what the cops were like, why? Why, why would you do why? that? He used a, a different last name at gun shows. And he said that that was all that it was, was that it was a different last name used at a gun show. Okay. So, but that's, I mean. That's still weird. You're not at a gun show yeah. right now. And so that's why everybody was like, the fuck? Yeah. But then Marif even questioned Tim. And her husband, Terry. She wouldn't accept the fact that it was an accident. And mm-hmm. after speaking with her family back in the Philippines, they convinced her to exhume his body, telling her that she could tell by his fingernails if he was murdered. So did they? Yeah, they did, actually. Are you serious? Yeah, they opened a full investigation. They exhumed him, and it was it was accidental. Yeah. 100% accidental. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Man, that's crazy. So she took off back to the philippines for a little while mm-hmm. and then i guess she went to school to be a physical therapist in the philippines hey all right um do what you gotta do later on she comes home and starts banging mcveigh oh yeah, yeah he's a real stand-up guy all right yeah so that's random now she denies it yeah she doesn't really deny it so much as she's just like Sure. When they're like, did it happen? She's uh, like, meh, uh, meh, meh. So, what? So, Terry ended up going to stay with Tim in Arizona. And now, Tim and Fortier, Michael Fortier, were becoming more and more fo- focused on the New World Order, which was going to be going up against the United Nations, who, yeah. remember, he said Jews ran the world. Yeah. Which, I'm, which, <laughs> I think I can say it. No, I'll, I'll tell you later. No, I'll say it. So a call came in last night and this guy was screaming 
at our 911 dispatcher. Yeah. Screaming at her. It's your fault. My wife died. His wife died a long time ago. And he said that somebody in his house was having uh, a heart attack. And she's like, well, how do you know she's having a heart attack? And he just starts screaming. Well, she's a white woman. She's a white woman. The fuck does that have to do with anything? And my dispatcher's like, okay. So she yells to me, Jamie, it's it's a white woman. And I yelled back, <laughs> well, tell him I'm sending a black paramedic. See if that evens it out. <laughs> right. <laughs> what the fuck is with Which people? I ended up telling the black paramedic. Like, yeah. I was like, he was yelling, it's a white woman. And he's like, am I supposed to go faster for them? I'm like, I don't know, dude, apparently. <laughs> right. So... What the just, fuck yeah. is with people? It's a white woman. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> Who cares? Who gives a shit? Yeah. We we don't... It's not going to make me go fast. It's it's not going to make a difference. No, not at all. And then they couldn't even find him. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a big... Yeah. So, these guys, babe, they're... They heard that there was a stockpile of military equipment in the local National Guard armory. I'm starting to question National Guard armories. Yes. Um, they get right. broken into quite a bit. It, who? Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Who, seven of them. Who is guarding them? Um, nobody. What the fuck? I'm unsure as to why guard is in the name. Right. <laughs> right. They're not guarding. Shit. Should just be national weapons. Come and take them. Right. <laughs> So they broke in, and um, do you want to know what they got? What? Uh, an axe, a pick, and a shovel. That's it? That's it. You could have gone to Menards. This is what I'm fucking saying. Walmart, dude. Yeah. So to conceal them, he spray painted them, because you, oh, you couldn't have just said, I got them yeah, at Walmart. That, that, that's uh. a great job. So things at this point were not going good for McVeigh. Um, he was in debt because he was gambling, and um, the bills were not winning, apparently. He had a falling out with his friend, Robert Moore, um, after an event at a gun show. Apparently, so there's um, like a Soldier of Fortune gun show, mm-hmm. and you do not talk about politics mm-hmm. at all. You don't even say the word politics. Really? And Robert Moore got pissed off at McVeigh because he like confronted somebody who he knew was a cop. Mm-hmm. And kind of started talking about politics and shit. Yeah. So they got into this big fight. Um, he was turning his home into a bunker at this point. Oh, boy. And there were rumors uh, at the gun shows that there was going to be federal raids on the homes of gun owners. Mm. Like the real extremists thought that <laughs> the ATF and like the FBI were just going to come knock on the door of everybody who had a gun. And I just don't get that. Like, you really believe that? They did. They they wholeheartedly did. Wholeheartedly. Like, it's not going to happen. They wholeheartedly did. And it didn't help. Like, it, I get to it in a little bit, but Bill Clinton's about to sign in a, an, assault, an assault rifle ban. Yeah. In 94. So that just made it 100 times worse. Well, you see how much of a cluster it is in Illinois with... Yeah. Pritzker signing Oh, it. with the counties? Like, yeah, we're not enforcing this. Yeah, I mean, we Good have, luck. How much, like, what, 60 counties already that mm-hmm. are like, mm-hmm. no, we're not enforcing it. Yeah. Yep. So. Which, but it was it was only a 10-year ban at the yeah. time. Um, 
So this is when he started making and detonating small bombs. He wasn't using the plastic drugs anymore. He was making pipe bombs. Mm -hmm. This is also when his grandfather got sick. So he, you know, he was very close with his grandfather and he went to see his grandfather and wanted to like, you know, spill his guts out to him. And I guess uh, his grandfather had a roommate in the hospital. He couldn't. So he also starts at this point um, cutting ties with people who he thinks don't have the same beliefs as him. Hmm. Um, This is when he ended up uh, ending his membership with the NRA because he said they were too weak. With gun rights. Too weak? Yeah, I'm like, NR National Rifles. That, what? That's what they do. It's all guns. Yeah. It's all big guns. That's what they do. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, all right. <clears throat> he wrote in July of 1994, wrote a 23-page letter, front and back, um, <laughs> to his childhood friend, Stephen Hodge. Sorry, that my ear itches. Um, it was, uh, it was a lot. It was a lot. Okay. But some of it was, quote, those who betray or subvert the constitution are guilty of treason and are domestic enemies and should and will be punished accordingly. I know in my heart that I am right in my struggle, Steve. I have come to peace with myself, my God, and my cause. Blood will flow in the streets. Good versus evil free men versus socialist wannabe slaves pray it is not your blood my friend wow yeah <laughs> that's scary yeah yeah he's scary at this point yeah he's, so he's getting there that's so then he went out a bit much yeah to like disprove government shit apparently at area 51 you're not allowed to take pictures i, I don't know well you're not Okay. Well, he's like, fuck you, I'm going to go take a picture. Yeah. Like, so he went on a mission to Area 51 and was hiking on a hill with no shirt on holding a rifle. I'm sure that would catch, like, the attention yeah. of someone. Uh, the helicopter that was following him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So he took pictures. I was like, fuck you, Uncle Sam. Like, I, don't, I don't get the, why can't you take, take pictures? I don't know. I don't know. The aliens are not walking around. They're, no. They're not out in the open. No. What is it? And one's not going to be like, hey. Hey. They're not going to photobomb you. I don't. Right. I don't know. But then he heard um, <laughs> that in Gulfport, Mississippi, there was a staging area for United Nations. They're going to pick Gulfport, Mississippi? Sure. That's where they're picking? Sure. So he decides he's going to go on a single man recognizance mission. Steven Seagal over here. Uh, He climbs a fence. (laughs) A fence. A singular fence. A fence. And and finds like military vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. um, Some dude bought him for like decoration for something he was making. (laughs) So... Um, so he finally ended up at the Nichols Farm again in Harrington, Kansas. Yeah. Oh, I got a lot of stuff over there. Okay. So I'm going to try not to confuse you. Okay. I didn't put too much in about certain things because I didn't want to confuse you. Yeah. Um, but names have to be thrown in. Okay. So I'll try and 
I'll do my best. So he approaches Nichols and says that they should start a gun show business and he has an idea for a new product to sell. That they should get 50-pound bags of ammonium nitrate fertilizer and separate it into smaller bags and sell it that way. He said that survivalists would just snatch it up. Yeah. Especially because there were rumors that the government was going to ban this particular fertilizer. Okay. So... What does said fertilizer do? It blows shit up. Ah. Yeah. Okay. They end up getting uh, like 4,000 pounds of this shit for Oklahoma Whoa. City. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. That's what most of the... Bon- it was like that and racing fuel. Okay. Wow. So, um, so, do you remember my mention of Elham City? Yeah. In Oklahoma. The white supremacist. Yes. City. Yes. Okay. So I have to throw out there that the guy who runs it now, David Millar, uh, sounds like Elmer Fudd. Okay. I am not exaggerating in any way, shape, or form. Straight up Elmer Fudd. (laughs) It's very hard to take him seriously when he's talking about, they say we have a white supremacist compound, and I know they're talking about me when he sounds like Elmer Fudd. (laughs) I'll have to play it for you because it's... Ooh, they played it, and I was like, this can't be fucking real. Right. Like, this cannot be. This guy's a joke. This is the guy they picked to talk? <laughs> right. What? It's it's bad. Okay. Nobody will take you seriously. Right. Even your <clears throat> fucking followers are making fun of you. So, on uh, September 12th, 1994, McVeigh was near Elham City. Um, he stayed in a hotel just over the Arkansas border, which was right by there. Um, they said that he probably did it just to make a paper trail, that okay. he wasn't at Elaham City. So this way he could say, well, I was close to it, but I wasn't there. Right. Many more ties to Elaham City come up. So we'll get there. Um, at this point, there is um, a guy at Elaham City. His name is Andres Stasmeyer. Okay. He is, um, he's German, obviously. Um, he came over here to become, nice. yeah, he came over here to become a DEA agent, actually. Okay. And they were like, mm, no, you're not legal. Like, you, you can't. Mm. He was weird, though. Like, he had a whole history back in Germany with crimes and all that shit. So he ends up, he's friends with the Millars, who run yeah. Elaham City. Okay. So when he can't become a DEA agent, he um, he gets pissed. So now he's like anti-government. But, oh, he came over here to do Civil War reenactments. Sweet. That's what it was. Sweet. And apparently people who do Civil War reenactments, you are not supposed to say that they are LARPing. They get very upset. Really? Yeah. Mm. Isn't it LARPing, though? I would think so. I think so, too. One of the guys in the fire department does it. I want to do it. I want to do Renaissance fucking that I do. reenactment and shit. That I would do. Oh my God, I want to dress up so bad with a fucking sword. I mean, we should just do it. We should. So, why don't, you know, we can do it at the conventions we go to. I, dude, yeah, we need to. Hello. I know somebody that could probably find us costumes pretty quick. Okay. I'm dude, on it. We're, yeah. I'm we're doing it. it. Um, so this guy, 
he becomes like everybody loves him and it is it because he's the only german that they know nice and supposedly his grandfather had a lower card number in the nazi party than hitler i don't know what that means. i don't either <laughs> i don't either he was a nazi before hitler was a nazi that's sure so he has ties to the nazi party is what he's saying okay. and he has all these ties to okay. you know white supremacist nazi party so he ends up at Elham City and he's now doing like paramilitary training, like tactical training to take over, mm-hmm. to like overthrow the government. Mm. So that's where Andy the German comes in. Andy the German. They call him Andy the German. <laughs> okay. Andy the German. <laughs> that's I know. easy. I read that and I was like, but. That's easy enough. Really? But that's what they call them in everything I found. Andy the German. That's cool. That's easy enough. So they think that he was going to see him. On September 12th. Mm-hmm. On September 13th, uh, Bill Clinton signed into law the Federal Assault Weapons Ban. It was part of the Public Safety and Recreational Firearms Use Protection Act of 1994, which was a subsidiary of the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act of 1994. I think I got those confused. The Violent Act was a subsidiary of public safety. Either way, it's a 10-year ban on assault rifles. Okay. So now... The right wing people are like, this is it. This is happening. Yeah. The Turner Diaries is coming true. It's happening. So McVeigh becomes what they call a uh, straw buyer. Yeah. Okay. So you're familiar? Oh, yeah. Straw purchases. Yeah. So what he would do is he would buy the assault rifles at gun stores. Mm -hmm. And then sell them to other people. He would fill out the paperwork as a buyer. Yeah. And then sell them privately. How do you think felons get them? Yeah. Well, and I mean, through straw purchases, we talked about you have it. legal people, yeah, that purchase them legally, mm-hmm. and then they sell them to the felons. That's how um, Columbine, the Columbine kids, got them. Yeah. Remember at the gun shows, yeah, they they buy them and then they sell them privately, and that way the dealers are like, well, we didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. We can sell it privately without paperwork. Yeah. So they sold them to that fucking girl. So do you know the one? database with the atf that i used to always tell you that i was typing in i think so trace yes that's what i was typing in for Mm. because atf will do a complete background like where the gun was manufactured where it was sold to who purchased it so that's it was a pain in the balls but I, i had to do that for every gun in our department that was recovered you know who didn't do that who the police with oj simpson I found it. Beretta.com. Just saying. Well, there you go. So that's what he was doing. I'm so, yeah, I'm glad you knew that. Mm. So now the rumors going through, <laughs> through the gun shows, which pisses me off, are, I, they're fucking ridiculous. They're saying that the ATF now, if you apply for a gun license, the ATF is going to require a floor plan of your house. And that the government was planning massive raids on all gun owners and Patriot community members' homes. Stop. And it was supposed to happen in the spring of 1995. Who the fuck comes up with this shit? Babe. I don't know. But this is when he decided that it was time to, uh, quote, engage in a major act of violence against the government. Okay. Uh, This is when he banged his friend's wife, you know. (laughs) You got to throw that in I do, yeah. Um. And then he wrote 48 a letter asking if he would assist him and Nichols when they decided on a plan of action. 
So either on or between September 30th and October 18th, 1994, Terry Nichols purchased a combined total of 4,000 pounds of ammonium nitrate. Holy shit. He used the alias Mike Havens. Uh, McVeigh also purchased some, but in smaller amounts. They then stole explosives from the Martin Marita Aggregates Quarry in Marion, Kansas. They took 500 electric blasting caps, which they ended up not using. Mm -hmm. Um, 80 spools of shock tube. Whoa. And I was afraid to... So my Google history is already questionable. Oh, God, yeah. So I was not... um, I really didn't think it was a great idea to start looking up bomb um, (laughs) ingredients. Right. So... Yeah. I don't know what they are, and I was afraid to look them up. Because yeah. at this point, my FBI guy that watches me is going to be like, okay. Oh, uh, what the fuck we, is she Now doing? we got to draw a fucking line. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So the bomb that McVeigh was planning <clears throat> would consist of more than 5,000 pounds of ammonium nitrate fertilizer mixed with 1,200 pounds of liquid nitromethane, 350 pounds of Tovex, and a miscellaneous weight of 16 55-gallon drums, totaling 7,000 pounds. Hmm. He built this by himself? Really? Uh, it's hard to believe. So he made pipe bombs with milk jugs, and then he built this by himself? Yeah, that's hard to believe. Cool. So his buddy Robert Moore is almost an expert in explosives, but he built this by himself. Hmm. Uh, There were eight total purchases to get the full amount of the ammonium nitrate. And they kept it all in a storage locker in Harrington, Kansas, which is where Terry Nichols lives. So so now some things are going to come up that you can't be this fucking stupid. You you can't. Yeah. You just can't. You can't build a bomb like that and then get a storage locker in the same fucking town you live in. Right. So, he told Fortier and his wife that he figured out how to turn a truck into a bomb. Um, and that he was going to use that truck to blow up a chosen target. And that his chosen target was the Alfred P. Murrah building. And it was going to be on the second anniversary of Waco at 11 a.m. Mm. Now, Fortier gets charged later. He ends up becoming a star witness against Timothy McVeigh. Does he really? So, a lot of... A lot of the information that we get later on when I talk about how he was not alone, mm-hmm. a lot of it comes from 48 and Nichols. Okay. So, but 48's wife was also charged. Really? Because they were like, you had fucking knowledge of this. Yeah. And you did nothing. So she was charged. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, 48 asked him, what about all the people? And he said, quote, Think about all the people as if they were stormtroopers in Star Wars. They may be individually innocent, but they are guilty because they work for the evil empire. Mm. But he built the bomb by himself. Rage against the machine, man. Yeah. Also, one of his aliases ends up being Kling. Like Klingon. Kling? Klingon. Kling Klang. No, like Star Trek Klingons. I don't, I don't know what those okay, are. Okay, never mind. Um, nanu, nanu? <laughs> no. 
So he saw this as an act of tactical aggression uh, and said it was nothing more, nothing less. Um, he wasn't looking to start a revolution, but was um, wanted to end what he saw as a pattern of government-propagated uh, violence. Um, now, Fortier would end up saying in trial that McVeigh chose the Murrah building because that's where the orders for Waco originated. Timothy McVeigh would come out and say, no, no, he's wrong. I know where it originated with Janet Reno, and it wasn't in yeah, Oklahoma. right. So he had a meticulously developed criteria list for picking this, what building he was going to use. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it had to be full of federal employees, and it had to have offices of at least two federal agencies that consisted of the ATF, the FBI, or the DEA. Mm -hmm. uh, if there was Secret Service or U.S. Marshals, that would be a, quote, bonus. Ooh. Yeah, so Jesus. he said that he checked out federal buildings in Arkansas, Missouri, Arizona, and Texas, Denver and Dallas, mm -hmm. and Fortier looked in Phoenix and Tucson, Nichols looked in Kansas City. So they were everywhere. Yeah, they were. McVeigh considered going to Washington, D.C. and blowing up the J. Edgar Hoover FBI building, like in the Turner Diaries, but then decided to... Um, to Oklahoma City because it's America's heartland. Yeah. yeah. Which it is. He also considered um, just going after people individually. Um, the one he talked about the most, obviously, was Lon um, Harucci, who was the one who killed Vicki Weaver. Yeah. So, which he was convicted of manslaughter, by the way. Oh, was he really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. I just... You're a sniper. You're a trained sniper that how do you hit this woman from as far away as you hit her and not see her drop to the ground? I don't buy for a second that they didn't know that they killed her. Because that's that's what they said. They didn't know that they killed her. I think that's bullshit. How? You can't move your face away quick enough to not see her hit the ground. Yeah, I think that's bullshit. Yeah. So this oh, this is fucked. So he was looking at Little Rock in Little Rock. There was a 40-story building in downtown Little Rock, but he decided against it because there was a florist in it. Hmm. Yeah. Um, he would later say, though, that it probably would have been a better target because Little Rock's federal building was right down the street from it, and the bomb would have taken out the federal building, too. Wow. Okay. He said he wanted to minimize the deaths of non-government employees, but wanted a high body count. Um, I, so he decided Oklahoma would be good because there was a parking lot across the street. It would absorb a lot of the damage mm -hmm. and that the whole front was windows. Mm -hmm. He would say that he didn't know there was a daycare. He's full of shit. Well, he, he knew. He knew. Well, where he parked, you could see the drawings. And pictures that kids had taped to the windows. Yeah. He knew. But there's evidence later that he spoke with someone at the daycare prior oh, to. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I And I did find out. So all the evidence was unsealed between 2010 and 2013. Mm -hmm. So. Mm. Um, so he ends up getting this long distance calling card under the name of Daryl Bridges. 
This is what he used to start looking for rocket fuel, like legit rocket fuel. Yeah. Um, called anhydrous hydrazine. Sure. Yeah. Um, he initially couldn't get it because nobody would, would give it to him. And then when he finally found someone that would sell it to him, it was way too expensive. Yeah. So they ended up switching to the nitromethane, which is car racing fuel. Okay. So he was able to buy it at a car racing track in Dallas. Nobody here. Here's a gallon. Yeah. Just take it. It's it's what fine. What the fuck? And um, so Terry Nichols at this point said would later say that he was starting to get cold feet, and he went to McVeigh and was like, "I don't think we should do this." Mm. And McVeigh uh, held him at gunpoint, basically, and said, "If you don't, I'm going to kill your entire family." Jeez. Yeah. Um, on October 16th of 1994, his grandfather, Ed McVeigh, died. Yeah. He missed the funeral. He really? was He was out trying to get money and fund this whole kit and caboodle, and nobody could get a hold of him. So he didn't know for five days. Really? Yeah. Um, in order to fund <coughs> this, though, a couple things happened. <coughs> Excuse me. Are you done? I don't think so. Do you need water? No, I'm good. All right. Arms above your head. Yeah, I know. Okay. Mouth to mouth. <laughs> yeah. Did that work? Yeah, it did. I felt it, actually. <laughs> there you go. So, McVeigh would end up telling his sister later on that he started robbing banks. Really? And he started robbing banks with the Aryan uh, Republican Army. Really? Mm-hmm. And allegedly sent her $300 bills that he had gotten from the bank robberies. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows. I'm curious. No, nobody knows. It makes sense. And they can kind of tie it together later, which I will. But the other way that he was funding it was he was going to go rob Robert Moore. His wow. buddy. Because he was, he was fucking loaded. So he ended up learning all the security codes when he was staying there. And he sent Terry Nichols out there to rob him. And he said that the reason he chose him was because that if, like, shit were to hit the fan, he was weak and he would surrender his guns. Yeah. Now, most people think it was not a legit robbery, but more of a money laundering scheme. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, McVeigh and Moore would end up writing very cryptic letters back and forth after the robbery. Um, and he would like more would publicly say that McVeigh robbed him, which why would you do that? Yeah. Um, nine days before the actual bombing, uh, Moore wrote a letter to McVeigh that said, quote, the plan is to bring the country down and then wrote burn in all caps. Mm. Yeah. The FBI questioned him and he just said, ah, I can remember. I don't know. Nah. I don't know why I wrote it. Nah. I don't know. Nah. I don't, I, I'm old. Right. I don't remember. Yeah. Nah. Um, so now here's the thing, though. So he's, he's I mean, well known as being an, an explosives expert. They just let him go. He didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Nichols would end up saying that if they went to his farm and they went to Robert Moore's place, they would find explosive materials buried with Robert Moore's prints on it. The materials that they used in Oklahoma. Yeah. So they end up 
searching for it, dug all the shit up, found it right where Nichols said it would be, did not test fingerprints on it for three years. By the time they got around to testing the fingerprints, they couldn't. They said they were destroyed. There wasn't anything there to test. Well, I mean, if you bury something anyways, prints are going to be destroyed. There's also rumor uh, that Moore claimed to be a protected government witness. Yeah. Which is not all that unbelievable because the ATF and the FBI did have their own informants. And they didn't share them with each other. Yeah. So they still didn't like each other. They would be getting their own information on the same shit and not share it with each other. Yeah. So their like circle jerk sword fight, it, it just hindered everything. Yeah. So um, Nichols at this point went to the Philippines for a few months because he thought McVeigh was going to kill him. But hmm. hang on. Gotta take a sip. Okay. So now, according to the FBI, Timothy McVeigh did this alone. He was a lone wolf. Nobody was with him. That's just how it was. Right. Okay. So everything I'm going to say from now on is not according to the FBI. It's actually according to all of the evidence that was sealed right after this happened that, like I just said, was not opened until 2010 to 2013 and the only reason it was unsealed was because of the amount of FOIAs they received really mm-hmm. yep okay so all right hit me with it this <clears throat> this I I mean come to your own conclusions he wasn't alone <laughs> that's my opinion okay. so uh in December of 1994 48 and McVeigh go to the Murrah building to, to case it, essentially. This is when they find out that the building has security, but it's a singular security guard. Mm-hmm. And there's five hours every day during the day that there's no security whatsoever. Oh, great job. Yeah. In a government building. Oh, it gets better. <clears throat> it gets better. Wow. Uh, now, McVeigh would later deny this trip. However, Fortier was like, no, we were there. Yeah. We were there. Now, witnesses put them there, including a daycare worker at the daycare in the Murrah building. Mm -hmm. She said that McVeigh came to her and said that he was interested in the daycare because he had uh, two kids and he was looking to put them in daycare and then made um, some oddball comments about the amount of windows. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Witnesses also say that uh, there was a, a man, a strange man who was mean with a German accent that was with them. Oh. Andy the German. Yeah. Who was a dick, apparently. Night. Yeah. He was like super hard to get along with and people just talked to him because he was like a German. Right. So, yeah. (laughs) Now, now we get into Dennis Mahone. Have you heard of Dennis Mahone? No. Okay. So he is, um, he is like a leader in the white supremacist movement. Mm. former leader in the KKK. Um, He's now a leader in the white Aryan resistance um, movement Mm -hmm. in Tulsa, which is still very active to this day. Is it really? Yeah. I heard that 
in something that was done a couple years ago. So I looked it up and yeah, see, that's why I can't look at bomb materials because I was oh, looking up no. KKK. Yeah. <laughs> uh, You'll be in trouble. We would be somewhere right now. Yep. Yeah. Um, so this guy was actually banned from the UK and Canada because he was considered an international terrorist. Jesus. So we were like, come on in. R- yeah. Come run our KKK. Welcome. Come on. Welcome. Hello. Oh, my God. So David Millar, Elmer Fudd, uh, says still to this day that uh, Dennis Mahone is a good friend of Elham City. Of course he is. Mm-hmm. This guy started a um, racist hotline. What? It was like a 900 number that you could call and complain if you had a comment about somebody <laughs> of a different race. Uh, oh my God, we're in the wrong business. I, I bet it made fucking a killing. I, oh my God. And this is how he met his girlfriend. Oh my God. His girlfriend's name is Carol Howe. And <sighs> they met because she called to complain about her black neighbors. Oh my God. Karen. Oh my God. Karen. Can you, can you imagine if that was a thing now? Dude. Brown people moved in next door. Oh, my God. It would be terrible. It would be terrible. What the fuck is wrong with people? Like, what? Dude, people suck. The fuck is wrong with people? Yeah, people suck. It was was literally called, like, racist something hotline. That's insane. Oh, my God. So, he meets his girlfriend, Carol Howe. She decides at some point that this guy's fucking bonkers and she wants to be gone. So she tries to leave and he ends up raping her. Mm. She goes to press charges, but she gets intercepted by the ATF. He's like, hey, we heard this happened. We're really sorry, but do you want to come work for us? So they flipped her. She turned informant for the ATF. Really? Um, <laughs> I mean... Fuck me, I'm going to fuck you. Sure. Literally and figuratively. Right. So he was making and successfully detonating homemade bombs and grenades. He had plans to blow up a Mexican-owned video rental store for no reason other than it was Mexican-owned. Yeah. So his girlfriend, she went and told the ATF they did nothing. He set off a 500-pound ammonium nitrate bomb in Michigan and bragged about it, and the ATF did nothing. Mm. So you have this informant for him. Right. She's telling you what he's doing, and you're not doing dick about it. Sounds about right. Cool. So at this point, the couple then moves to Elaham City. She reports back to the ATF uh, about Andy the German and his paramilitary training. So they told her... Take a break from Mahone. Start reporting on Andy the German. We want to know about this. In December of 1994, she sends a report over to the ATF that Robert Millar made a speech at Elaham City telling everyone it was time to act on what they'd been training for. Andy the German uh, was planning to take action with mass shootings and bombings that he was publicly talking about. Yeah. And she told them that something was being planned for April, but she wasn't close enough to the inner circle to get more details. Yeah. Do you want to know what the ATF did? Nothing. Uh, They told her that her assignment immediately was over 
and never spoke to her again. Good job. Great fucking job, people. The ATF never moved a Neelham City. In 2010, retired ATF director John McGow said on record that they didn't raid Elham City because they had not been retrained from Waco, which was their excuse for Waco. They hadn't been retrained from Ruby Ridge. Yeah, yeah. He also was on record saying that raiding Elham City at that time would have been the one and only chance they had to stop the Oklahoma City bombing. Mm. And he's confident that if they would have raided at that time, they would have prevented the Oklahoma City bombing. But he did it by himself. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yet, mm. I mean, it would have been a shit show if they raided. Oh, it would have been a without shootout. Without a doubt. It would have been a shootout. Yeah. People would have died. <clears throat> yeah. But you know who wouldn't have died? 19 fucking kids. Right. 19 kids wouldn't have died. Mm-hmm. We didn't think about that. Especially because there were lower ranking ATF ATF agents who were like, listen, we need to go fucking in there. Like, we need to go take this place down. And they just didn't do it. So McVeigh's at uh, Michael Fortier's house uh, making fake IDs. He uses the alias Robert Kling. Um, Kling, Kling. Yeah, he needs to make um, a fake ID to rent the rider truck. But that is the name of a soldier he knew that Mm. was in the army with him who resembled him. Okay. Um, so there is evidence of this next part. Um, on April 5th, 1995, McVeigh called Elaham City looking for Andy the German. Um, Millar's daughter-in-law answered the phone and later testified that, yes, that happened. Mm-hmm. Right after calling the rental place in Kingman, Arizona, looking for a rental truck that he couldn't get is when he called him. After he was able to secure a rider truck in Junction City, Kansas, he called Elaham City again. Um, so either he's keeping someone or a lot of someone's like up to date on what he's doing or he's reporting to somebody. Yeah. So um, a couple days after April 5th, McVeigh was seen at a Tulsa, Oklahoma strip club called Lady Godiva's. Yeah. Um, the stripper right. vividly remembers McVeigh because while she was giving him a lap dance, he told her, remember his face because after April 19th, she wouldn't forget it. Ooh. There is. That's a little creepy. There is audio recording from that night of the dressing room of her telling the other girls. Really? This story. Also in that recording. She says that he's with an annoying German and a man with olive skin. Hmm. John Doe number two. Wow. Okay. John Doe number one was obviously Timothy McVeigh. Yeah. John Doe number two. We're getting there. All right. Now we're getting into the nitty gritty. I just want to make sure I got my timeline straight. Okay. So at some point in April... Um, Timothy McVeigh goes to Kansas and he checks into a hotel uh, called Dreamland Motel. (laughs) He checks in, I know, he checks in under uh, an alias um, and on, he's he's alone now. That's where our uh, anniversary is going to (laughs) be. There's pictures of it too. Yeah, it's like (laughs) sky blue and yeah. Yeah. So 
he's supposed to be by himself. On April 15th, uh, a Chinese food delivery man by the name of Jeff Davis said that a man with olive or tan skin answered the door at Timothy McVeigh's hotel room at Dreamland Hotel on the 15th of April. On the 16th of April, the owner, I can't remember if it's hotel or motel, I'm sorry. Uh, The owner of Dreamland stated that she heard multiple voices coming out of McVeigh's room and that they had granted multiple people independent access to his room. I just pictured Dumb and Dumber when they're both in the hot tub together. I kind of do, too. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. So, like, keys were given out to more than one person. Okay. Um. On the 17th of April, um, McVeigh is able to go into Elliot's body shop and rents the rider truck. Now, later on, when uh, federal agents go to Elliot's, they find three witnesses who say that Timothy McVeigh was not alone. Mm. They describe the second man as short and stocky with tan or olive skin and having a tattoo on his left arm. The first sketch that was released uh, was completely wrong. The three witnesses were like, well, who the fuck is that? Right. Because that's not who we saw. Right. Is the dog snoring? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the second sketch that comes out, they're like, yes, yes, that is him. Mm -hmm. They don't know where the first sketch came from. Okay. Okay. So now the sketch bears a striking resemblance to Aryan Republic Army bank robber Richard Guthrie. Mm. Now, it's alleged, remember, that Timothy McVeigh was robbing banks. Yeah. He was in Arizona at the same time as Richard Guthrie was in Arizona robbing banks. Mm. So the timeline fits. Okay. Okay. Um, it comes out later that a couple months prior to the bombing, a Missouri property owner said that McVeigh, Nichols, and a man described as John Doe number two, arrived at his property asking about the property because there was a cave on it. Which, what? I mean, that's kind of cool. How do you get a cave? Yeah. Um, his description of John Doe number two was exactly a match to the second sketch. Uh, He said that this man went under the alias of Robert Jacks and that they later found the name Robert Jacks in Marif Nichols' address book with multiple variations of the way Jacks was spelled. Hmm. You follow me? Yeah. Okay. I wanted to make sure I wasn't confusing. No, I'm, I'm with you. Okay. So... Like I said earlier, a lot of this information was released between 2010 and 2013 because of multiple FOIA requests. The FBI would come out and claim that John Doe number two was a man by the name of Todd Bunting and was actually at the body shop the day after. However, all three independent witnesses who said that they saw John Doe number two came out publicly and said that they personally knew Todd Bunting, and it definitely was not him. Really? It's Junction City, Kansas. It ain't big. Yeah. So they said they knew who the FBI was saying this guy was, and they're like, mm, no. no, not even close. Hmm. So. All righty, then. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so now we're gonna we're gonna get into the day. Uh, I don't know if you need a chart warning. Uh, on April eighteenth, according to McVeigh, he and Nichols took all of the materials out of storage and went to the Gear Lake State Park in Kansas. They put the bomb together, which what? Uh, Nichols went home and McVeigh slept in the truck with the bomb. I don't think they put a 7,000-pound bomb together at a campground in, like, two hours. I highly doubt that. I feel like maybe they were, like, finishing it. Yeah. And I definitely don't think it was just the two of them. It's 7,000 pounds pounds. of material. That's a lot. That's what I'm saying. There's no way. Like. Yeah. He made milk jug bombs, and this this is what he built? Yeah. That's a lot. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, on April 19th. So, like, the the, the, the borders of Oklahoma City are, like, kind of different. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. So, the first sighting of a yellow rider truck was around 8 a.m. There was a minimum of 24 witnesses who saw that yellow truck over the next hour. Almost all of those witnesses described the truck as being part of a convoy with a yellow Mercury marquee, a brown truck, and a white sedan. Three separate witnesses said the truck stopped and asked them for directions to the Murrah building. The driver was a white man with a military haircut, and the passenger was a short man with Oliver Tanskin. Mm. So now who's driving the three cars behind yeah. you? Yeah. Because that yellow Mercury marquee, that's the getaway car. So who's driving that? Right. The dog is loud, he by the way. He is loud. Wake his ass up. Chance. Chance. He's dreaming. His fucking feet are going like... <laughs> um, so at 8.40 that morning, a convenience store worker that uh, in a convenience store located n- near the Murray building said that McVeigh came in and bought two Cokes, and a pack of cigarettes. McVeigh did not smoke. He asked McVeigh, are you moving? And McVeigh just simply answered no. And when he walked out, the worker said that he got into the driver's seat and in the passenger seat, there was a short man with Oliver Tanskin. Hmm. So. Again. Yeah. So then witnesses now say that they saw this convoy driving like in and out of the parking lot of the Murrah building. Yeah. This is when these dipshits figure out that the rider truck is too tall to fit in the parking garage. (laughs) Guys didn't grab a tape measure. I'm supposed to believe you built a 7,000 pound bomb by yourself, but you didn't think to fucking measure the truck. Right. Okay. Especially because the measurements are written right the fuck on it and on the parking garage. Yeah. Hmm. So, a state trooper would later testify but that... But I have seen dumber things, I have so. too, but they also have not built a 7,000-pound bomb by themselves. Yeah. Uh, a state trooper would later testify that he saw the red, or red, the yellow rider truck pull into an alley close to the building, but when they realized the alley was blocked by a U.S. Marshal's truck, they, like, got the fuck out of there, mm-hmm. backed out and ran. Now, it's important to note that the... Do you remember the World Trade Center bombing in 93? Yeah. The bombing in the basement? Yeah. Or by the basement? You know, it was a, a rider truck. Yeah. So, 
you see this fucking rider truck pulling in. They see Marshalls and they're like, <gasps> and they flip the other way. And you didn't think to go, huh, mm. that was odd. That was a little weird. Maybe I should go talk to them. Maybe hmm. they were busy. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Maybe yeah. they were busy. So it says they uh, then parked in a handicapped spot on the north side of the Murrah building under the daycare. And the truck was flanked by the Mercury and the brown truck. There was also witnesses that say they saw a blonde woman directing the truck into backing up into the spot. Now, they don't know who this blonde woman is, but it is thought to be um, the Aryan Republic Army bank robber, Pete uh, Langan, who was at the time actively transitioning to become a woman and was dressing as a woman at the time. Really? I didn't think white supremacists like wow. were okay with that. I was... Jeez, I, I didn't either. I did I did see something. like. So can you imagine if he didn't tell anybody that that's what he was doing and he's supposed to show up to like help them blow up this building and he shows up in a fucking wig and a dress and he's like, hey guys, hey, <laughs> right. how you doing? And the guys were like, what the fuck is it? What the fuck what is, is that? that? What the fuck is Pete doing? Why is he wearing heels? Right. What is he doing? We don't have fucking time for this. We have to bomb a building. Right. Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. So now the main witness that says that he saw this car parking was in a building next door on the, I believe, fourth floor. And he remembers it vividly because he himself had a Mercury marquee and he remembered what a piece of shit car it was. Mm -hmm. He also then saw that they were parked in a handicapped spot and thought to himself, what a fucking asshole. Yeah. (laughs) Like he's parked in a handicapped spot. Yep. So. It's true. Yeah. Um, Okay. So. He allegedly entered uh, city limits at 8.50. At 8.57 a.m., the Regency Tower Apartments, their security camera in the lobby, captured a yellow rider truck driving down the street in the direction of the Murrah building. Mm -hmm. At 8.57, McVeigh lit a five-minute fuse. At 9 o'clock on the dot, when he was a block away from the Murrah building, he lit a two-minute fuse. Dana Bradley, who she comes up later, says that she saw a man who met, you know, was the description of John Doe number two, get out of the parked rider truck and quickly walk away. Another witness who was a truck driver said that he also saw Doe number two and McVeigh crossing the street because he almost hit them and he had to swerve. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, Now, Donna Dana Bradley's account came out when this happened. It came out in the 90s. Of her John Doe account. Mm -hmm. Nobody else's came out till later. So McVeigh parked the truck, locked it, walked away. He went to the getaway car, which was the 1977 pastel yellow Mercury Marquis, because why would you not get an inconspicuous car? Right, right. right. Mm -hmm. Of course. Um, There was a note on the windshield of the car that said, quote, not abandoned. Please do not tow. We'll move by April 23rd. Needs battery and cable. Because that'll stop him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because um, a yellow car with a note flapping in the breeze. Yeah, that's that's going to do yeah. the trick. And that keeps you out of the eye. So before he could even get into the vehicle, at 9.02 a.m., the rider truck blew up. It created a 30-foot by 8-foot crater. 
and demolish, like I said earlier, one third of the nine story building. All of the windows shattered in the building. Mm -hmm. All of the windows in 258 surrounding buildings shattered. Wow. This explosion caused damage to 324 surrounding buildings in a four block radius. Holy shit. The broken glass alone accounted for 5% of the death toll and 69% of the outside injuries. The whole front was was glass. Oh, yeah. Um, It destroyed 86 cars. And they said the damage total was approximately $652 million. Oh, my God. It, uh, the explosion could be heard and felt 55 miles away and uh, registered as a 3.0 on the Richter scale in a town 16 miles away. Wow. It took the building seven seconds to collapse. The shockwave alone forced the bottom floors upwards before the fourth and the fifth floor collapsed onto the third. Now, on the third floor was a transfer beam that ran the length of the building. It would come out later that if they would have used, um, like, circle beams, circle yeah. beams and used uh, rebar instead of what they used to save money, the building would not have collapsed. I mean, hindsight. Yeah. So... um The third floor then collapsed and the transfer beam gave way. At the time, there were 646 people in the building. By the end of the first day, uh, 14 adults and six kids were found dead and over 100 were injured. Most of the people who died, died from the building collapse, not the bomb. There were 163 deaths um, inside. And they ranged from the age of three months to 73 years old. Oh, God. 15 of the 19 kids were from the daycare. Um, there was 108 federal government workers in the building at the time. Only eight of them were with law enforcement agencies. Really? Four were with the Secret Service. Two were with Customs. One was with the DEA. And one was with, with uh, the Housing and Urban Development. There were six military members, and not a single member of the ATF or the FBI were killed. And that's who he was going for. Jeez. Okay. Um, this one's kind of... Um, he unknowingly created the perfect bomb. The vacuum that it created, the vacuum of air, was almost like a second bomb mm-hmm. and made the damage much worse. Yeah. When rescuers finally could get in, they could see what they thought was the ceiling. What to them was the ceiling, but was in actuality probably floors collapsed. Yeah. There were large pools of coagulated blood. Those um, were people that were just squished by the rocks. Um, The FBI uh, initially thought that this was either an international terrorist or uh, a drug cartel because the DEA was housed in the building. Mm -hmm. Um, The leader of the ATF at the time, Robert Ricks, said he was sitting there and all of a sudden went, holy fuck, this is the data Waco. And that's when they switched gears from international terrorist to this has got to be domestic. Yeah. So Timothy McVeigh walks away to his car. 
which would not start because it's a piece of shit. Yeah. He finally got it started and took off. Uh, about 60 miles away, State Trooper Charles Hanger noticed this fucking yellow car with no license plates. Oh, my God. What an idiot. You forgot to put the license plates Ye- on? Dude. No. Come on. The license plates were found in the storage unit with the leftover bombing material, explosive materials. You can't be that stupid if you, you're you planning something you like did not, this. You didn't forget. No. This is when you you have to start thinking that he's a martyr. He's, he's a patsy. Yeah. He wants to get caught. So the state trooper pulls him over, gets him out of the car, sees a bulge in his jacket, finds it's a gun. So he is arrested for the first time in his life for unlawful possession of a firearm. So again, why I think he was a martyr. Why didn't he shoot that cop? He could have. Why did he have a gun? Why didn't he shoot the cop? He just blew up a fucking building. Right. Why didn't he shoot the cop? If he was trying to legitimately get away, right, he would have shot that fucking cop. Yeah. Because it was one state trooper. You know how far he could have gotten? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so his shirt that he was wearing at the time said, Sick Semper Tyrans, I believe, which means they, or excuse me, thus always the tyrants. Allegedly, when Brutus killed Julius Caesar, he yelled that. And when John Wilkes Booth killed Abraham Lincoln, he yelled that. Mm. On the back of the shirt, it said, quote, the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. That was Thomas Jefferson. So let's go back to Dana Bradley. This is the trigger warning on this one. So Dana Bradley, uh, she had just had a baby. She was at the federal building trying to get a social security card for her yeah. newborn son. Right. He was the three month old. Hmm. So she was there with her young daughter, her newborn son, and her mom. When the bomb went off, she fell down five stories. Her mother, her daughter, and her son were killed instantly. While she was laying in the rubble, she saw a hand, and she reached out to hold the hand, and then realized that the hand was severed from whatever body it belonged to. Oh, my God. But she continued to hold the hand because she said it still brought her comfort. She was stuck. She couldn't get out. And yeah. she was stuck in the bottom where, like, I forgot what they called it, but her leg was stuck. So they bring a doctor in to do an on-scene amputation. Yeah. Which isn't, you know, they, they do that. The doctor, I, I guess, was somewhat of a bigger guy. And the way he had to squeeze in, it was upside down. And he had to use his left hand, but he was right-handed. Yeah. And where he had to amputate her leg was almost right at the kneecap. Yeah. So scalpels kept breaking. Oh, my God. While he was trying to do it. Oh. So he had a pocket knife. Oh, my God. And he started to amputate her leg with a pocket knife. Dear Lord. And then the orders came out to clear the building because there were rumors of a second bomb. And the doctor was like, nope, I'm not leaving without her. Good job. Yeah. I'm not I'm not leaving without her. Good job. So obviously they got her leg out yeah. with a motherfucking pocket knife. Dude. Yeah. I couldn't even imagine. A fucking pocket knife. 
couldn't even imagine. I just like ah, uh, what? Yeah. So Timothy McVeigh is in jail, and it turns out that he was supposed to have a bail hearing, but the judge was too busy, and uh, it got delayed a day. Mm-hmm. By the time they figured out who did it, he was still in jail. If it would not have been delayed a day, he would have been released. So how they figured out who it was, was the back axle from the rider truck flew two blocks over. Yeah, They were able to match the serial number on the axle to the VIN number of the rider truck and the VIN number of the rider truck back to Elliot's body shop. Wow. That's how they figured out who did it. Wow. So then they're like, okay, so we got to find him. Holy shit, he's in fucking jail. And he shouldn't have been. Dude, He should have been released the day before, yeah, but the judge was too busy. That's insane. Mm-hmm. That is insane. Yep. The judge was too busy. So, <clears throat> he's obviously in jail. Obviously. Um, the guy whose car, because it hit a car. And it was a guy, his wife, and two kids. And he said it was like a movie where it was like, like almost like Final Destination. Yeah. Where it was going through the air like. Right. And then like hit right. the car, you know. So. um, God, could you imagine? No. <laughs> Fuck no. that. Um, on August 10th of 1995, my dad's birthday, McVeigh was indicted on 11 federal counts, including conspiracy to use a weapon of mass destruction use of a weapon of mass destruction, destruction with the use of explosives, and eight counts of first-degree murder for the deaths of the law enforcement officers. On February 20, 20th, excuse me, 1996, the court granted a change of venue and ordered that the case be transferred from Oklahoma City to the district court in Denver to be presided over by District Judge Richard Paul Match. It's said that it was moved to Colorado because that's where the max prison is. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not like you're going to get a fucking jury who's never heard of this in any state you're at. Exactly. There's no way. Um, He he wanted his lawyers to use what they call a necessity defense. Mm -hmm. Do you know what that is? No. Um, They would have had to have proved that McVeigh was in imminent danger from the government. You're not. No. You're not. Not at all. Uh, But McVeigh argued that imminent did not necessarily mean immediate. And they would have had to argue that the the bombing was a justifiable response to what McVeigh believed were the crimes of the U.S. government at Waco. Hmm. All righty then. What? 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 On June 2nd, 1997, McVeigh was found guilty on all 11 counts of the federal indictment. Murder charges were only brought against McVeigh for the eight federal agents um, and not the other 160 people. Jeez. Hmm. Which, I mean, we know he did it. But do you think the families needed, like, that kind of closure? I don't know. Like to know that he was convicted of it and put to death for it. I think I would. I think I would too. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think I would. Uh, so 
they did want to try him for the other 160. Um, <clears throat> they also wanted to try Terry Nichols for the 160. Mm-hmm. Terry Nichols was inevitably uh, sentenced to life in prison. Was he For really? his involvement, yeah. Uh, on June 13th, the jury recommended that McVeigh receive the death penalty. Yeah. And, I mean, you know. As he should. He did. So... The other 160 deaths couldn't be brought up in federal court because they fell under the jurisdiction of the state of Oklahoma. So, um, because he was convicted of, you know, the 11 counts and sentenced to death, the state of Oklahoma chose to not file the charges for the 160. Um, So, he um, obviously was put on death row. His death sentence was delayed pending an appeal. Um, one of his appeals was for Sertiari. I've heard of it. Okay. So this was taken to the Supreme Court, um, but was denied on March 8th, 1999. He wanted a nationally televised edu- uh, execution. Did he really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. An internet company tried to sue for the right to broadcast it, but lost. Wow. So... Now he's at pay per view. Yeah, he was at uh, Florence Max in Colorado mm-hmm. um, with Nichols, and their death row was called Bombers Row. Jeez. Ted Kaczynski's there. Oh my god. <laughs> Ted Kaczynski, Louis Philippe, and Ramsey Youssef. Who um, I don't, I don't know who they were. I, I apologize. I didn't look, but. Um, that's where Chris Watts was and yes. Jamie Claus's. Right. Yeah. So right. um, he ends up getting transferred to um, Max at Terre Haute, Indiana. Yeah. In 1999. He dropped all his remaining appeals, saying that he would rather die than uh, spend the rest of his life in prison for the appeals. On January 16th of 2001, his execution date was set for May 16th. McVeigh said his only regret was not completely destroying the federal building. Damn. Six days prior Piece to his shit. yeah, six days uh, prior to his scheduled execution, the FBI turned over thousands of documents of evidence it had previously withheld to McVeigh's attorneys. Wow. Because of that, his execution was stayed for a month. Mm-hmm. It was now reset for uh, June 11th. And, um, you know, I wanted to look into it because I think federally, like, Brady violation is not a thing. Mm. Because when we were doing the um, the Boston Marathon bombers, yeah. there's so many different stipulations with federal charges. Yeah. Like, you can interview them without an attorney. Right. You can, right. I mean, there's so many other things you can do. So I want to say that, like, I want to say that it was okay. Like there's no Brady violation in federal cases. Mm. I'll look into it. I'll let it yeah. you know. Um, I'm kind of curious myself. Yeah. Um, so he was executed on June 11th, 2001 at 7, 14 AM by uh, lethal injection. Mm-hmm. There were witnesses. Um, one of, there was a brother of somebody who died in the attack he said McVeigh had a, quote, totally expressionless blank stare. He had a look of defiance and that if he could, he would do it all over again. Isn't that fucked up? Completely. Oof. No, he was a veteran. So it was, where does he get buried? 
Oh, On yeah. November 21st, 1997, President Bill Clinton signed S-923, which was a special legislation introduced uh, by a senator to bar McVeigh and other veterans convicted of capital crimes from being buried in any military um, cemetery. Wow. He, um, they had a hard time finding somewhere to cremate him. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted to do it. And uh, they, they don't. They didn't release where his remains went. Wow. So. Uh, McVeigh wrote in a note that he uh, considered telling him he wanted his ashes spread at the memorial site. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. But that it would be, quote, too vengeful, too raw, too cold. Yeah, fuck um, you, dude. He expressed a willingness to donate organs, but was prohibited from doing so by prison regulations. Now, we just did the case. Mm-hmm. Charles Cullen gave a kidney. Yeah. yeah, federally, you cannot donate an organ. <laughs> but state level, because he was he was in a federal prison for federal counts. Right, he can't state level. He could. Wow, isn't that weird? That's crazy. So he, a psychiatrist, um, examined him obviously, and he concluded that McVeigh quote was a decent person who had allowed rage to build up inside of him to the point he had lashed out in one terrible, violent act. Nurture versus nature. Yeah. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. His IQ was 126. Whoa. He was genius. He was a genius. Yeah, he was. Remember, Mensa was, it's 130 and above. But he forgot his license plate. He forgot his license plates. Mm. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. He 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 used his own name to check into the hotel yeah. in the same town that he used an alias to to rent the rider truck. Right. But he's a genius. Wow. Literally a genius. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. I, mm. I don't so, know. So, yeah. Um Nichols obviously went on trial. There was significant evidence presented at his trial indicating that others may be involved. It was evidence that was not shown at McVeigh's trial. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so he, obviously he ends up going to prison. Michael and Lori Fortier uh, were considered accomplices due to their knowledge of the bombing prior to. Yeah. Um, Lori also was the one who helped McVeigh make his fake driver's license. Yeah. Fortier uh, turned state's evidence and was testifying against McVeigh and Nichols in exchange for a reduced sentence and immunity for his wife. Wow. That a boy. That a boy. Yeah. Um, he was sentenced to 12 years and fined $75,000. Um, she still, she she got immunity for the the bigger charges. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, she still was, she did serve a little bit of time, but was released for good behavior and is now in witness protection. I could believe that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could believe that. So the whole Elaham City thing, mm-hmm. um, he, what ties him to the bank robberies in Elaham City, he got a parking ticket right outside or a speeding ticket, excuse me, right outside a town that a bank robbery was in. Really? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh my god. Yep. So that 
is the story of the Oklahoma City bombing. Wow. That was that was a lot. That's a lot to take in. Yeah. And there's so much more background with Elaham City and all of oh, that. Oh, I could believe that. that. I couldn't put it because I would have yeah. been talking forever. But it's, yeah. He forgot his license plates, but, you know, he's he's a genius. Wow. That's a lot yeah. of information. It's speculated that they picked him because he was a veteran. Yeah. He was very clean cut. He knew how to speak. Yeah. He could present himself well. Yeah. And the rest of these fucking hickerbillies couldn't. True. You can't put Andy the German in front of the fucking camera. You know? Because afterwards, the amount of interviews he gave was insane. He had so many sit down interviews. Did he really? Yeah. Yeah. He had a ton of sit down interviews. Mm. Mm-hmm. I might have to watch a couple of yeah. them. Yeah. He had a ton of, of, of sit down interviews. 2020 did one. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I might have to check them out. Yep. Well, they well, still don't know who John Doe number two is. But that's interesting. But how many fucking people said that they saw him? Mm-hmm. Independently. Yeah, that's. Independently. Yeah. They did not like sit in a room and say, okay, well, what color skin does he have? What's his tattoo of? Like, yeah. No, they saw him. They saw him. Yep. Wow. I don't know. So there's Timothy McVeigh. That was good, babe. That was good. That was a lot of information. Yeah. It was good. Was it confusing? No. Okay. I, I no, didn't want to. I wanted to put in a lot of stuff about like Elingham City and stuff, but I didn't want to yeah, throw no. in too many names and confuse you. So. No, not at all. Okay. I, you, did, you did good. That's fucked up. Yeah. What mm-hmm. a fucked up case. Yeah. But, well, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, Our next case is going to be Sunday. Is it still Sunday? Yeah, we were going to do it tomorrow, but we're going to do it Sunday uh, just to give me another day of rest. And uh, we will have our special guest, Tony, on. Can we drink during this one? Right? Like, for real? I'm asking, for real. Yeah, why why not? I mean, I can drink during any of them, but like, I'm going to leave the table here and go research for the State Killer, so. Can't get fucking... Why? Shit face. Why? He's going to be doing most of the talking. Well, yeah, true. Yeah. Listen, you've been shit face how many times recording this? Yeah, true. Yeah. But you start to talk a lot. I do. I'll take my Adderall. Yeah, you start to talk a lot. <laughs> I'll take so. my Adderall. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this, guys. Hit us up on social media. We love your messages. Uh, whatever platform you listen to us on hit that five star liking and uh, we will be talking to you soon bye bye if you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes insomnia brain fog moodiness or weight gain you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging the experts at midi health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.